Hey there, this is Christy. I have a quick programming note before we get started. This episode, all about Vault Disc 1 from the Super Deluxe 1999 release, is a beast. It was over two hours just raw recording before it even gotten into editing and putting clips and stuff in. And it's just, it's too long. So we're breaking it into two episodes, but we didn't know that while we were doing the recording. We didn't realize that's what we were going to be doing. It kind of got away from us. It's going to be two episodes. So the break might be a little bit awkward. There won't be a time capsule, a mountain and a sea in this episode, That'll come at the end of the next episode when we conclude the discussion about the vault disc number one. So we appreciate your patience and understanding, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Mountains and the Sea where we look at the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week. I'm Christy. And this is Josh. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. After our hiatus, we are returning with Vault Disc number one from 1999 Super Deluxe. Yes, after a long and winding road through 1994, 1995, coming full circle back around with the Black Album and then reloading our Love Sexy episode, which kind of nicely strung it all together. Yeah. We're ready for a new adventure. Yes. And we're we an are, old adventure. Well, we are definitely not the first ones to the party to review 1999 Super Deluxe. But we needed time to soak it in, listen to it. Came out in, what, mid-November of 2019. Here we are at the start of 2020. Yeah. With a deep dive into it. Yeah. So the album was remastered and then also included a disc of B-sides and edits and that type of thing. And we decided... Don't know if it's worth our time to do that. We've already covered the 1999 album proper almost a year ago. And oh, it was, I know. It's amazing. I know. Uh, that's what happens when you get sucked into the love symbol era. Uh-huh. <laughs> the old year. The love symbol era? The love symbol era. He, oh, when he yes, changed his, his name, name to, love symbol. I was thinking Did of... you know that he did that? <laughs> <laughs> it just made the year go by super fast. It felt like we recorded like one topic and the year was gone. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. And now we're back where we started in 19, <laughs> with 1999 again. We cannot get out. <laughs> but we're happy to be stuck. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Because this is great. Yeah. So super, the Super Deluxe Edition is the one that we purchased, yeah. which is the five... We got CDs. CD yeah, version with the DVDs. The... No, not the LPs. No. No, don't have that kind of money to spend on well, something like that. And... I can say it because I gave you the record player. Our record yes. player is kind of marginal at best. Yeah, it would be more of like to have it as a collector. What would be really nice to have it for is the book because yeah. the booklet that comes with the Super Deluxe Edition Albums. CD version, uh-huh. it's, I mean, I'm a 45-year-old man and it's hard for me to read. It, the, fair. Yeah. Me too. It's a tough read, especially the cool photos of Prince's handwritten lyrics and other photos from the vault. They're reduced to a a percentage that it's almost, it's really hard to make out. Not almost impossible because I'm sure I could. I need one of those makeup mirrors. I should have put that on my Christmas list. Oh, no, I need makeup, to get you like, one of those. Makeup, like not mirrors, the little magnifying 
things with the halo light yeah. around them. Oh, there you go. Because if it's well lit and magnified, I bet it's pretty awesome. I, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure I could get you one of those things that go around your head and the little magnifiers come down. My mom has one. Yeah, where you look like a, a, a you, robotic poker dealer. <laughs> I was going to say like a welder who doesn't care about the rest of their face, but right. yes. Yes, just protect the eyes. <laughs> no. So we decided, while the remastered album, certainly great, sounds good, but am I enough of an audiophile to tell you, oh, well, Bernie Grunman decided to lift up the levels of the rhythm guitar and DMSR. I don't know. I'm a freak, but not that much of a freak. (laughs) So it sounds great to me. Yeah. um, And I'll replace it in my music library. I'll remove... 1999 original edition and replace it with this remastered edition. Fair. But I honestly haven't even spent all that much time to compare the two, listen to them both. It sounds louder to me. That's about it. Yeah. It's fine. I'm glad that someone who's an expert spent the time to revisit it and make sure that it's in good shape and now it's preserved forever. Well, and it's really cool cool that you mentioned Bernie Grumman because he mastered the original 1982 album and then also did the remaster. Yeah, he knows what he's doing and he knows the material. Yes, which is, I thought it was really cool that they brought him back to do this again. It's super cool. Um, And he has been involved with, I believe he was involved with Originals also. Mm -hmm. And he was a long time... That's where Prince, his go-to guy for re, for mastering his albums, was mm-hmm. Bernie Grunman. So That's the fact great. that he's still around and his operation is still around, mm-hmm. it's very cool. So Bernie Grunman did the mastering, but Nico Bolas did mm-hmm. the mixing, right? Because some of the quote-unquote final mixes of songs only existed on cassette. There wasn't a tape preservation of the final mix that Prince did. So right. Nico Bolas. As much as he was able, recreated those using those cassettes as a guide to give us the best quality and as, as close to the mix that Prince envisioned as possible. Right. And he did that from master tapes that were found. In most cases, right. there's an exception we'll get to. Yeah. But you've uh, heard stories, if you've listened to the 1999, the Making of 1999 podcast that was done by The Estate and The Current. It was great. It's fabulous. Four, yeah. four episodes, I think. I think just four, yeah. Uh, but goes into some really neat interviews, especially with Peggy McCreary, who was the engineer that was present for the recording of almost all this material. And uh, yeah, she talked about, you know, putting together cassettes for Prince to take with him to listen to the work from each day. And that's sort of the source material for where Nick Bullis reference to make right. these final mixes, which I think is great. He did mention in a couple interviews, and I'll have to find them, that he's a big fan of reverb, apparently. And okay. so there's talk amongst the Prince community that the one complaint is there's more reverb or echo on Prince's voice on some of these tracks than he might have envisioned. And that might go back to Nick's preference, personal preference. Right. How much of that is true and how much of it isn't, I don't know, because we don't have a CD of here are the cassette recordings and here is the mastering of the final. Right. So these are sort of considered finals, but we don't know exactly what the reference material was. 
I read that Michael Howe wanted to include the December 1981 version of Baby I'm a Star, but they were unable to locate that track amongst the vault files, at least as of yet. I guess they're still sort of sorting Yeah, well, I think that's what's going on at Iron Mountain. All these materials were sent there for preservation and cataloging, and so it'll be easier to do this in uh, the future, hopefully. Uh, Because apparently the estate started working on this release in 2017, so it took a full two years to get this done. And I think that's reflected in the quality of what's been produced. The packaging of this thing, the story behind it, um, the people that got involved with retelling stories from this era is really, really well done and makes Purple Rain Deluxe look very rushed and very poor in comparison. Yeah, I mean, if this is the quality that we can expect from future releases, then it's worth the money and it's worth the time that it takes to. Yeah, well, we hope it's worth the money. It was what sixty bucks for the super deluxe edition, so hopefully, it's a money making endeavor for the estate because this is hopefully what we can look for, like you said, in the future for other releases, and hopefully, that's maybe why they named it Purple Rain Deluxe and not Purple Rain Super Deluxe Edition because maybe maybe there's another. You know, maybe on the 40th anniversary, 2024, there might yeah. be another release because it just seemed very haphazard and kind of thrown together. And there were some quality issues with some of the audio that we know is in better shape in other places. And the booklet was like full of alternate photos from the When Doves Cry video. Yeah. That's really kind of it. Lust You Always and Extra Lovable were left out evidently because of their lyrical content. Right. And probably a good decision. I think it'd be cool if there would be some way to get those recordings updated and to fans. But I don't know how to do that without, um, you know, drawing the ire of certainly the Me Too movement. Yeah. um, Because there's, you know, statements like, I will rape you if I must. And I'm just going to have to rape you now, which, of course, is unfortunate. You look back to when they recorded 1982 and, you know, discussion around that stuff. It doesn't mean that it was right in 1982. I'm just saying there was less public awareness of it and certainly, you know, less being less self-aware as a man in 1982 or 81 of what you're saying and what it really means. That wasn't a thing then. Right. So it's not an excuse for it, but it's a reason for it. I was listening to a podcast just the other day and like in 1980... 80-ish, early 80s, rape was still a misdemeanor. It wasn't even a felony. Like you would, I literally heard a story about a man who raped a woman, got six months in jail for raping her, but ended up having it deferred and got sentenced to five years for stealing a piece of equipment from Sears. Wow. So, so like a wrench is more important than a woman's body. Well, it, I think it was uh, used it to cut down trees. A chainsaw? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I could see it and okay. couldn't come up with you the could word. charade it pretty well too. <laughs> yeah, so a chainsaw was more important than violating a woman. Yeah, and so not that that's right. It wasn't right then. It's not right now. But when you look at the kind of sentences that were applied for those two kind of things, it kind of puts into perspective why in 1982 
it might have he might have felt it was acceptable yeah to sing about that um you know in the end there are going to be songs that were recorded that we know about or don't know about that just aren't going to be released and there that's, so that means there okay. will forever be bootlegs yeah and that's okay there was plenty of other material here mm-hmm. to make two very good discs of vault material um the first of which we'll eventually start talking about <laughs> yes very shortly uh i did read that Prince realized that with these vault discs, he could have easily put together a 1999 volume two. Yep. Another, another double, double album. album. Yeah. yeah. I think he mentioned it in an interview. Um, I don't know if it was Rolling Stone or where it was in the eighties that he said, I've got 1999 part two. It's sequenced and ready to go. And I probably could have released it and it probably would have sold as many copies as 1999 but i wanted to go in different directions essentially is what he said yeah yeah so Dwayne tudal's notes in the booklet are excellent they're insightful informative it's great i think it's cool that he was officially involved by the estate too to bring him in after his awesome yes book of purple rain era recordings and the research that he's done is just insane so for him to be officially involved i think is a great thing for everyone And and he was on the making of 1999 yes. podcast too. It was yep. great. Mm-hmm. Um, and my only complaint. Oh, you've already got a complaint and we haven't even got to the songs yet. I don't know who Poochie and the Count are. Oh yeah. Sorry. I looked through the whole booklet and there was no information about who Poochie and the Count are. And I was so looking forward to Aww. kind Did of you see learning. who the penguin was though? No, I didn't. It was a little stuffed animal that they, Aww. you know, had. In the studio. Cute. But that's not the same as Poochie and the Count. No. Yeah. Some mysteries are left. Better left as <laughs> mysteries. It's okay. We don't get to know this side of heaven. That's fine. Yep. All right. So are we ready to talk about the music? Uh, yes. Okay. So the two vault discs I read, I think it was on Prince Vault and maybe also in the booklet. I don't know. Uh, that the vault discs are arranged in chronological order. I read that too, Supposedly, which is interesting to me. Well, I think it's a great way to do it, first of all, because these are kind of homeless tracks. They were never officially sequenced or put into an album of some sort, but it's something Prince never did. I can't think of a single album, even the live material that he released as a mixture of different venues and different times. The greatest hits packages that were put together are not done. Not even those are done in the order that they were released. So this is kind of interesting to hear a disc of recordings that were done between, you know, in a six month period in sort of the order that they were. Although I think we've found some discrepancies there too that we can talk about. Okay. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of cool that we get a, here. here's unreleased material in the order it was recorded. That's a cool approach to me. Yeah, That rather too. than someone other than Prince trying to put together a thematic thing, which is sort of right. what Originals was, and that kind of worked. Yeah. Um, but I think for the Super Deluxe Edition where you've got unreleased tracks that may or may not have been intended for 1999, they were just recorded during 1999 era sessions. Yes. is a great way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And there's not really that much time either between when Controversy was released, which was October 14th, 1981, and when 1999 was released was a year and two weeks later, October 28th, 1982. So it's a short period of time for a double album of official releases and then a full disc of remix and edits and B-sides and then two full 
vault discs of material and two concerts. It's it's pretty and, sweet. And not to mention stuff by the time and Vanity Six. Yes, yes. Which we also covered. And Vanity Six, I have to say, is one of my favorite episodes. It was really fun. Oh, I thought it was one of your least favorite albums. Though. It was one of my least favorite albums, but I thought it made a really great episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about it was so fabulous? It was Please just, do tell. It was just fun. That was back in February of 2019. I think it was... Oh, when yeah. it came out, it was March. It was March. Yeah. So because you just found it, Well, it, it got delayed because we got sick. But oh, okay. it, was, it was just... It was a fun one to edit. We found a lot of... Fun things to like, even though I didn't love the album, and there was lots of overlap and stuff. It's worth a listen if you haven't heard that one. So right. I know some people only listen to official releases or things specifically Prince related, but that one's worth a listen if you're even if you're not into Vanity Six, which I was not. Oh, yeah. And I, well, it's a and great since, album. Since we did that episode, Originals came out with yeah. Prince's version of yeah. Makeup, which is. One of my favorite songs on, cool. on there. So that's it, there's a lot more that's happened even since we recorded that episode. You know, sometimes I think the estate is just listening to our podcast <laughs> and then deciding, oh, we should we should explore that further. Sure. I know that's the case. <laughs> I know it. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, I'm not going to fight with you about that. Okay. <laughs> Feel You Up. First released in August of 1989 is the B-Side to Party Man and was then included on the 1993 Hits and B-Sides. Yep. This, what we get here, is the first known recording of it. Yeah. Um, and I was telling you that I I heard this version long before I ever heard the B-Side version. So right. this was like the definitive version to me with all the hisses and pops and poor quality <laughs> on a cassette tape bootleg that I had in the mid 80s. Uh, yeah, so this is the first in the chronological sequence recorded right. in 1981 at Prince's home studio. All the instruments and vocals are by him, which is the case basically on this entire disc with a couple of, of exceptions. Yeah, um, we'll that, get those as we get to those tracks. Yeah, yeah. the um, re-recording that you mentioned from 1989 was actually recorded almost three years earlier in 1986 for what was then going to be the Camille Project. So it turned into a Camille track. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Boy, this is like the start of Prince and the drum machine. And you can kind of tell it's not a sophisticated drum programming track, I don't think. But it is very mechanical, not revolution sounding, but still kind of this mechanical funk drum track. Yeah, that drives the whole it's thing. almost like he just wanted to get that set up because he had other things that he was trying to mm-hmm. he was trying to get out, and you can totally hear that in the synthesizers here mm-hmm. because they really sound like the 1999 album. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. They have really high pitched synths. Uh-huh. Some of the synths seem a little creepy to me, which I guess kind of matches oh. the lyrical content of this song. Also, the me 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 love it when you sing to me. Yeah, it's. I mean, black sweat is sort of reminiscent of it, but black sweat was more like piercing synths, and this is not quite as piercing. It's just kind of this creepy creeperson 
repeating synth sound in the song. It gave me the very much kind of unsettling sort of feel of the apocalyptic 1999 album. Oh, really? I thought it was... Except instead of a nuclear fallout, it's a body (laughs) feel-up. Yes. Well, and I was, you know, listening to this... And really, you know, I'd heard it before, but I hadn't really like super paid attention. Had to you the heard this version before? I don't think so. I okay. think I'd only heard. You just heard the Batman re-recording. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't want your credit cards or anything you've got. Feel you up is all I want to do. And I'm like, oh, is this is this purely sexual, or does like you really see her? I don't want your credit cards. You got all I want to do. And no, no, we no, get our answer. Your hopes are squashed. Oh, yeah. I don't want to really want to be your man. I only want to feel you up. Physical attraction, babe. It's what it's all about. Okay, yeah, he's yeah. very much... Oh, yeah, it is definitely a physical thing. I also want to talk about how he sings on the bootleg version of this song. I always felt like the lyric track... I'll give you a piece of the piece of crap that we all listened to for 30 years <laughs> leading up to this release. Okay. His, I mean, there's so much hiss, and his voice is almost unintelligible. It's like he's singing in this little kind of whispering kind of thing and wants to purposefully not be seen or heard. On this version, you can tell there's a kind of low register singing or speaking prince and then a falsetto prince singing on top of it through the whole thing if you listen carefully. Um, which is interesting, but it makes it less of a I'm a hidden menace kind of sound. Right. And more of a, this is to me, I think in Prince's mind, this is like a compliment to whoever he's singing about, but it's more of a creeper, creeperson kind of thing. I can As, see how in the early 80s that he, it was more complimentary yes. and less creepy. For sure. But still aggressive nature of lyrics in the songs, you know, like this one, as opposed to Extra Lovable or Lust You Always, sort of the same vein of songs and lyrical content. Just this one is a step back from, you know, physical abuse, essentially. And I will give him credit, though, for as creepy, creepy creeperson as it is, at least he's asking permission. (laughs) Come on, baby. Come on. Let Uh me do this. Yeah. He's not just doing it. He's singing about wanting to do it, not... Doing it or as a threat. Yeah. Which sets this apart also. Yes. True. Like, I'm not going to do it whether or not you agree. I'm going to get your consent first. Yeah. And this song is my way of seducing you into letting me, you know, have my way with you. Yeah. And um, also give you some pleasure too. Right. Not all about him. Right. But uh, that line that you, I think you mentioned it just a minute ago, um, physical attraction, babe, is what it's all about. Hot and cold reaction, feel you up, turn you out. I kind of highlighted that as, wow, if you could like sum up Prince's lyrical content, the majority of it from 
1978 to 1984. Uh-huh. That's a pretty good summation <laughs> of a lot of the sexual nature uh-huh. of his lyrics. Yeah. It's, it is it was- very physical. And it was only later when he became a little older and wiser and more experienced that he started looking back and changing physical to spiritual. And that kind of change came mm. about. Yeah. So this is kind of a neat, raw look at, you know, the... It's Prince by himself in his home recording music. Yeah. You know, without someone standing over his shoulder and saying, you know, man, you might want to think about what you're saying. Man. <laughs> Dude, that I rape you bit's going a little far. That's right. You yeah. Might, you might reconsider that, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was some really cool beatboxing under the synthesizers. Yeah. That I thought was super, super cool. And kind of new to his music. A lot of these vault tracks are him, you know, there was the sound of For You and Prince, his first two albums that were kind of like a pop, disco, soul kind of thing. And then there was Dirty Mind that sounded more like home studio, but still kind of had a disco, punk kind of feel to it. Yeah. And then Controversy, where he sort of found his... Minneapolis sound and the drum right. machine in 1999 it was a continuation and growth of that but these outtakes are kind of outlayers of those sounds and him exploring these things so the beatboxing and the kind of there's these drippy drum sound effects through a lot of these songs too and this one included and other effects on his voice like that fluttery kind of weirdness where he says let me fill you up yeah there's this weird fluttery yeah and and i was trying to figure out i'm like it doesn't sound like a technical error to me it doesn't sound like a no 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 a reflection of the quality it sounds intentional it's intentional for sure yeah and it had me thinking we're not going to get to the song for a while, but it had me rethinking when I would put together my own little playlist of 1999 alternate takes. A lot of times I would make a playlist and call it Turn It Up. No, oh, because okay. in this song, starting in this song, Turn It Up is a phrase that he comes back to over and over and over again. And yes. it seems like this kind of self referential thing when he's calling out Turn It Up. Of course, he's the only one. <laughs> that could do that because he's the only band member, but it seemed like a reference to this other song, which is something yeah. he did a lot with title tracks and other things on right. his song. So, and, and there's a photo from 1981 that's very dirty mindish that has him and his band members standing and there's a wall behind them and there's spray painted words behind them uh-huh. and turn it up is you can make it out behind one of his band members. So I'll share that with you so you can post it online. But it seemed to me that Turn It Up was kind of the central theme to a lot of these vault tracks. Cool. Yes, I agree. I noticed that too. There was a lot of references to that. Yeah, the first one happens at... Four minutes and 28 seconds when he says, I got a cute little toy that'll make your body move. I got the jam, baby. If you got the groove, turn it up. I got a cute little toy that'll make your body move. I got the jam, baby. You got the groove, turn it up. Yeah, and he says that in a really deep voice, yeah. which was kind of unusual at this time yeah. period for yep. him to be quite that deep. 
Yes. Yeah. So it was a lot of experimenting, I think, with the drum machine, with synthesizers, and then with his ability to sing in his more comfortable falsetto, and then working in kind of his deeper, what do you, what would you call it? Deeper register? Yes. Vibrato? That's what I would call it, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell he was having a lot of fun with this. There's these bells and altered voices. Yeah. <laughs> You know, a little small scream here and there, and yes, yeah. great. Then it merges seamlessly. It does before you get to the merging with the next song. Could uh-huh. I mention the other two locations of "Turn It Up"? Oh, go right ahead. Just because I spent the time to go write all this down, <laughs> God, it's exhausting. At five minutes and five seconds, there's some kind of unintelligible thing that he says. I can't make it out, but it's followed up with "Listen to me, turn it up." Then uh, at five minutes and fifty nine seconds, come on, turn it up. Come on, turn it up. The third mention of turn it up in a song called "Fill You Up." He was going up. <laughs> it was all about the up. It was don't go down, which he could have worked another song also <laughs> if he had stopped and thought yeah. about it for a minute. <laughs> it, thematically, it would have fit. So yeah, this song. Breaks down. So I read and knew that these two songs, Feel You Up and Irresistible Irresistible Bitch, were recorded separately, but then Prince himself mixed them together, which is recreated here. So when Feel You Up breaks down and ends, if you listen real closely between track one and track two, you can tell that the source material for these recordings changes. The level of hiss is different between the two songs. Yeah. If you listen real closely, it's yeah, not, it's a dis- a, it's, it's it's not distracting. No. And I'm sure it was done to just create the best quality track for each of these songs, but it's not a perfectly seamless transition. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I interrupted no. your transition. No, no, that's fine. I yield to the lady in purple. <laughs> Irresistible bitch. That's not my name for you. That's the name of the next song. (laughs) B-side to Let's Pretend We're Married from November of 1983. Also on the hits and the B-sides. We have some moved around lyrics here. Verses one and two are swapped. Right. He's using a different voice. Yeah, kind of, I would say, is Jamie Starr voice. Yes, I agree. It sounds like... The vocal performance from Chocolate. Yes. It's almost his, I don't know if it's Jamie Starr or kind of his Morris Day impersonation. Yeah, I think it's more his Morris Day impression is a little different. Okay. I think I think this is his Jamie Star voice. Okay, and dang it, I love it. Do I you love, love it, it so much? <laughs> He's just like frantic and half screaming. Yeah, screaming. This is like this is what people I think miss about. It couldn't have lasted forever, right? You can only be young, innocent, daring for you know a certain period of time before you become experienced and smarter and yeah. wiser. And this is before all of that. Not to say that he was a stupid punk at this point, because he wasn't. <laughs> he was a pretty legitimate star here. Yeah. But he could take risks and try different things and not really care if it worked or not. 
And I think this is a great example. Yeah. Oh gosh, I this is my favorite version of this song. Oh, I, is it? Oh, I this, this is, is the way it should sound to me. <laughs> there was something that I read about uh, the recording of the song came shortly after he was booed off stage, uh, opening for the Rolling Stones. Okay. Um, and someone online had asserted that you know his own anger and just wanting to find a new sound or something to connect with like the the whole rolling stone incident kind of convinced him this these are the people i need to work hard to lure on my side oh, okay. and you know people who hated me didn't like what i stood for didn't like the songs i was singing those are the ones i've got to win over to become what i want to become oh, and then cool. he went back to the studio and this was kind of the one of the first songs recorded after that uh-huh. and so some people were saying that it was his own anger and trying to get stuff out. And I don't know if that's the case, but it was definitely maybe an inspiration to try something different, which is what this is. I love this version of the song and I heard it long before I even heard the B-side release because I didn't have the money or the wherewithal at the time to find the B-side on vinyl to Let's Pretend We're Married, which is the only way you could get it up until the hits and the B-sides came out and you could get Irresistible Bitch on CD. I would say, and I don't think you've heard it, the version of Irresistible Bitch that's on the 1985 Syracuse Purple Rain concert is my favorite. Okay. But this is always dear to me because it is one of the first unreleased Prince songs that I'd ever heard. Yeah. So I'm with you. It's great. There's some synthesizers in the left channel. Uh Uh-huh. They're only in the left channel. Yeah. Like at a minute 50. And they're so cool. So I'm going to put... A little clip okay. right here of both channels so you can hear that it's only in the left channel. Okay. Hell if I know I let you drive my car. Don't I know that walking won't get me very far? And then now that you've heard that, I'm gonna put just the left channel a little bit right here so you can hear more clearly the synthesizers because right. it's so cool. Hell if I know I let you drive my I just thought it was super, super neat. Holy crap, that was great. (laughs) I never know. That surprises me because I wondered, would this song appeal to you? Not because of the lyrics. I thought Uh you would like his voice because I know you've always kind of liked Screamy Prince and the gravelly My Name is Prince Mm -hmm. kind of vocal delivery. And this is sort of that or an early version of that. But I never know how you're going to react to like rhythm guitar in the right channel and synthesizers in the left channel. And this kind of electric repeating drum beat, I wondered, oh, is this going to sit with her or is it going to grate on her? Because I oh. know you usually listen to this on in, with earphones only. Yeah. You're not much of a, let me listen to this in the car or on a stereo oh, at home. I'll listen kind to of it in the car, but I'm also like driving and paying attention to other things. So I don't notice as much. Yeah. I, I like different stuff happening in either headphone. Okay. Um, There's a lot of that happening As long as they're not going back and forth. Like if they slide from one to the other, that's fine. But if it's right, left, right, left, right, left, that I, it makes me dizzy. Yeah. No, there's none of that in this song. There's a lot of things that are only in the left channel and only in the right channel. It's super cool. Which makes it a great listen. And that's something else that listening to it in this form on this compilation 
is such a complete joy if you've been mired in crappy, hissy, almost <laughs> uh-huh. mono bootleg versions of the song. This is like, wow, mind-blowing. Open, well, opened your eyes. Like, you know the song, you think you know it, inside and out, and then you hear all this other stuff going on. And it's so And it's neat. really great. Well, you mentioned things happening in the right channel. There's guitar at three minutes and 45 seconds uh-huh. that really, that's only in the right channel that really made me really realize how excellently stereo is used in this song. Yeah. Now you're talking, that part that you're talking about there is a keyboard and guitar breakdown towards the end of the song. Yes. This was a shocker to me. And if you are someone who had this as a bootleg version of the song forever, this is not part of any bootleg version of this song. It like continues the full song kind of just uh-huh. ends. But in, on the version here, which is apparently, if you believe what you've read, matches some cassette that was found. So this breakdown must have been a Prince-inspired or Prince-done version that right. is different from what we have circulating. So That's cool. I'll share with you the bootleg version at the end so you can hear how that sounds compared to how it sounds here where the drums go away and you just get the synthesizers and the guitars at the end. And it's just completely different and amazing. Like I was, I didn't expect to be surprised hearing feel you up and irresistible bitch um, here because I'd heard it for so long, but that was like the first aside from the clarity of it all, having a different breakdown and musical kind of interlude at the end of the song was Shocker. Like it, I was not expecting it. I was really? Like, what? Here, I also want to mention some turn it up references. Oh, okay, good. Yes, please do. All right. It's kind of an ad lib part at a minute and 27 seconds where he says, Turn it up. Good Lord. I wish I could resist. Same thing in a minute and 34 seconds before the hell if I know why I let you drive my car uh-huh. part. Yeah. Turn it up. Good Lord, love. And then further along, we get many turn it ups at yeah. about the two minute and 19 second He spot. repeats it a bunch. That gives me the feeling that if this was going to be an album of some kind or an alternate release or something that might have come out in 1983 between 1999 and Purple Rain, it could have been Turn It Up. Yeah. There was another one. Three minutes and 20 seconds. I wish I could resist. Turn It Up. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I didn't mark it. Oh, I did. Good for you. Yeah. I have it uh, in the lyrics that I wrote down, but uh, didn't circle it. My find turn and highlight yellow <laughs> script did not work oh man yeah yeah so right. i'm gl- i'm so glad that you like this i'm like if she- i don't know if she'll love the lyric delivery and the kind of manic half screaming half spoken approach but will the synthesizers turn her off the answer is no, no. it's a hit 
No, it's a hit. I'm a glad. Hit the hit. All right. Yep. Then we have Money Don't Grow on Trees, which is reportedly one that was planned for the Abandoned Hookers album. And we'll, I, we'll I, get I, there. Okay. We'll get there in a minute. It became Holly Don't Care for Holly Robinson Pete. Right. She recorded it, but nobody seems to have any copies of that, not even her. Um, and then it became Baby Don't Care for My Taste Child of the Sun. Yes, and I went back to listen to Baby Don't Care. We've covered My Taste Child of the Sun during uh-huh. our very short and brief 1994-1995 delve <laughs> into Prince's music. And by short, um, you mean like eight months long, yeah. Yes, it's a good portion of our lives. Um, and the only part that's similar is the chorus and how it's the repeating Money don't, money don't grow on trees. And uh-huh. then hers is baby don't, baby don't really care. Uh-huh. But the lyrics and music are completely rewritten. So I know at one point when you heard this or heard of it, you were like, oh, I think my day kind of got the shaft. Got these <laughs> songs. It, it was reworked completely. It was reworked completely for Holly. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. That's fine. It, w- it wasn't completely it's reworked okay. for Poor Maite. All right. She didn't get the 1981 version. Uh, no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but so. I'm not sure how Prince would have changed these lyrics for them to, to work for the hookers because he specifically says, I'm a hardworking boy. I'm a hard-working boy. Right. And she, mama, uh-huh. told me how to catch a woman. Uh-huh. And catch and hold a woman. That's to have money, and that's not advice that, especially in the early '80s, that, that you would give a girl. That's true to catch and hold a man. Yeah, it's it wasn't like I'm that. Not sure, but on Prince Vault, and I have seen this photo that the master tapes for the song were on had written on it hookers. Okay, but I don't so, know how you would change the lyrics for it to be. Right well, for the hookers. Maybe that's why it didn't happen. I don't know. Um, I will say this is the first vault track on this collection that I had never heard before. I didn't have it in any form or fashion. Okay. And I don't know if that's just me being a poor collector or if it hadn't circulated a lot. <laughs> if you're a poor collector, I, I feel for the storage requirements of a. Oh, Excellent well, collector. I don't know. There are things that like slip through the hands of everyone who's yeah. tried to, you yeah. know, collect things. Like, how could I? How did I never have this before? Uh-huh. You know, because there's no, there's no accounting really. Right. You know. Yeah. So this was recorded in November of 1981 at Prince's home studio. So this was right after the release of Controversy. A month afterwards, um, Prince plays all the instruments and voices and totally different sound from "Feel You Up" and "Irresistible Bitch" that both have a very mechanical computerized funk kind of mm-hmm. sound to them. And this has got a really live studio kind of sound to it. Yeah, live drums. Pop, yeah. More pop than funk. Sounds like a band, although it's, you know, Prince on all instruments, just so much different than the first two songs that it's not jarring, but you know, it just again, kind of speaks to Prince was in exploration mode. Yeah during this period of time and had all these side projects that, that he may or may not have been recording for. And like Peggy McCreary, a recording engineer would say, said on the making of 1999 podcast, she never knew what she was recording. If it was for a project, for fun, for a Prince album, for 
a side project. Yeah. There was no Vocal telling. Vocal guide for the there was no time telling. or yes. yeah. Vanity Six or the hookers or. Yeah. Yeah. And this one had not only like a live studio sound to it, but also a little bit of punk, like uh, yeah. rebel mm-hmm. a little bit to it with Prince singing about some common sense advice, not really about breaking any rules, but, you know, that would be really more about punk. It's more about, this is what my mama said, and she's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is... Well, unless you can dance like Fred Astaire, you better think about a college degree. Yeah, it was like, if you don't have some natural artistic talent, then you better use your mind. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's... How different, how different of a song is this than Feel You Up? Yeah, yeah. Is it like polar opposite? Pretty much polar opposite, unless it was country. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, that was totally carnal. This is about finding a quality mate. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that he mentioned a college degree. Yeah. Blue-collar work is not going to get you the quality of woman, so to speak. Right. That you might desire. You need a, more than just a trade. Yeah. Unless you can dance like Fred Not that there's anything wrong with people who work in trade. That's valuable work. But what he's talking about here is he's wanting something aspirational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very uh, like make something of yourself. So this to me had almost more of a time feel to it than anything that the hookers would have done. Yeah. Because a lot of the Times albums, the first two were about getting a job and doing well for yourself and one day I'm going to be somebody mm-hmm. kind of falls into this, this kind of genre. Yep. Um, in the chorus, I love Prince's background singing where, you know, he's singing money. Don't money. Don't grow on trees. And then there's this background vocal. Don't grow on trees. Uh-huh. And he's singing in this high voice. Like at um, 55 seconds is the first time you can hear it. And I loved him singing in a falsetto and there's this nice little guitar that's being played under the whole thing. It's, this is like kind of family friendly prince. Yeah. If you could play this for your ten year old, uh-huh. it'd be okay. Yeah. There's some there's some positive messages here. Yeah. Sure. I well, yes. Work for it, basically. Money don't yeah. grow on trees. You can't get anywhere daydreaming. But also maybe just a little bit calling women materialistic. Where exactly do you see that? Because money don't grow on trees. And if you mm-hmm. want to have a, a good woman, if you want to be able to catch a woman, mm-hmm. you know, you need to have money to be able to do it. And it seems almost looking at women as a little more transactional oh. and materialistic. Not n- and it's not something that like bothers me yeah. a ton. It was just an observation that I made. Oh, I saw it more as be a good provider. Yeah. That, and that's a noble thing. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that money buys you a woman, but be, you know, keeping and holding a job and having a nine to five requires qualities like dependability and security. And those things are all very good. Yes. They're, they're worthwhile traits to look for in a partner. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, although he also raises the importance of money higher to me than raising the importance of catching and holding a woman further along in the song when he says, oh, break it down one time. 
I need my money like a hog needs slop. Uh-huh. Like, this yeah. is the important. This yeah. is like, that's the most important thing to him. I need my money. He needs his money. Like a hog needs slop. What you say, brother? I just thought, I'm like, wow, you would never, I can't think of another Prince song that references slop. Yeah. This has got to be the one. And then, okay, so he talks about how if you don't dance like Fred Astaire, mm-hmm. you know, get yourself an education. Yes. He also says, everybody get up and move your feet. You can't dance like Fred Astaire. Dance like Fred Astaire. So get on the street. Everybody up. Almost yeah. like he's looking for somebody who can dance like Fred Astaire. Like, you better get up and try and make sure that you're not uh-huh. fantastic at something before you give it up for a nine to five, too. Yeah. And that was kind of the only spot that I was like, ooh, ooh, okay. And I, I can see how you see it that way. I kind of almost see it as him, like a call on another song later on, workout, yeah. you know, where he's calling everybody, get up and move your feet. It's just, come on, dance with me. Yeah. I don't know that it was a call to try to see if you have what it takes to be Fred. Oh, see, but I think I could totally see it as get up and dance with me. And by the way, I'm watching. Yeah. Just to make sure that if there's anybody with some particularly oh, perfected skills. yeah, perfected yeah. talent. He can find them. Yeah. I also wanted to point out at three minutes and 32 seconds, it's just a nice classic Prince scream as he's doing the refrain, money don't, money don't grow on screen, mm-hmm. trees, and he screams. <laughs> money don't grow on screams? Money don't grow on screams. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe for Prince it did. He made his money <laughs> off some screams. That's for sure. I just thought this song, I was, again, kind of blown away. I love the rhythm guitar work throughout the entire song. I thought it was fun. He's got some great singing. And like I said, almost family friendly. As family friendly of a Prince song as you're probably going to find in the early 80s. Yeah. Without digging too deep into what he's singing. Yeah. Welcome, travelers, to the mundane and the arcane, a 5e D&D podcast. I'm Matt, the Dungeon Master, for our new campaign. Uh, I'm Deacon Bishop, and uh, I like to party. I'm Grognag Vegan Smith, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm Senko, and I cast Guiding Light. Come join our party as they explore the river town of Tristolin, fight threats like magical crabs, and rob stores such as bards and nobles. We release bi-weekly. Now, everyone, I'd like you to roll initiative. Then we have Vagina. Which is probably not a family-friendly Prince song, although it's got some great moments, I guess you could say, and a great... This is another one that I had never heard before. It's so good. Heard the title of it, so Uh I sort of... Like, well, I'm probably not missing much. It's just Prince singing about some part of a woman again, mm-hmm. not knowing anything about it, and uh, could not have been more wrong. Oh my gosh. Recorded, recorded in November of 1981, Prince's home studio. We know Vagina was the name that Prince wanted to give Denise Matthews, and she was smart enough to say, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> yes. Uh, and settled on Vanity. And it's just 
Prince with his guitar, his vocal rhythm, uh, and a little bit of bass guitar, and just the stripped-down, falsetto, very Dirty Mind, better-than-Dirty Mind sound to yeah. me. Oh, my gosh. There's a little bit of a rockabilly sound to it, Oh, it's too. definitely rockabilly. There's a, there's these guitar and hand claps that really, oh, like... The oh, there's chants... Oh my gosh! And the so and the 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 melody that he makes with himself and the super high falsetto, it sounds like classic rock a little uh-huh. bit too. Okay, and we cannot overlook the fact that he is singing a song about a non-binary person, whether she's transgender or bisexual. It's difficult to tell. He's singing about that in his falsetto voice yeah. as a man, and I'm, it works. It's a gender-bending so, so three minutes and 38 seconds. It's so great. Uh, give me any song, any time, with Prince on guitar, and all you hear is guitar and him going... Yes. Yes. I don't. All day. Want, I don't even want a drummer. <laughs> yes, just Prince doing a little just beatboxing. Just him doing and, that. Yeah. So yeah, you, like you said, it's, it seems to be someone who doesn't necessarily identify as boy or girl, half and half. Although right. he, every time he refers to vagina, it's her, if, yeah. unless he's calling her by by name. Her hair was shorter than mine. She told me she lived in the city. I never knew when she was lying. I first saw her in a gay bar kissing another girl. So she's female to me. Yes, unless she's a transgendered person who has transitioned and now her pronouns are she and her. Yeah. But yes, I think at this time it was probably more of a bisexual or perhaps even a intersectional person who has, I hate to call them birth defects because it's not necessarily a defect, Mm -hmm. but an alternate sort of anatomy. Mm. There's just, I don't know there's better moments on this whole album than him doing the chant, half boy, half girl, Uh best of both worlds, and, and his hand claps that are going on. I don't know how this song didn't make it as a B-side somewhere, or maybe it was just too, like, maybe there was someone saying, hey, man, what you're singing about there is kind of weird. Yeah. No, Maybe that kept him back, but I I have no idea. The uh, second verse that starts with, vagina was half boy, half girl, she had her own way of doing things. Uh Vagina was half boy, half girl, she had her own. The way he sings things is one of those high-pitched moments with him and multiple falsettos singing that I'm like, this is like classic rock yeah. almost, kind of. Reminds me of Rush hear, to a degree. Yeah, but you would never hear these kind of themes in the classic rock, which is no, what sets no. it apart. It's yes. so, yeah. he's borrowing from that and really turning it on its ear and yep. making it something new. Right at the beginning... It sounded like something else. And I was really, really trying to figure it out. I'm like, it sounds like 
another Prince song, but I don't know what. I can't uh-huh. place it. And so on Prince.org, some people said that it sounded a bit like I Am from the Deliverance EP. And I went back and listened to it, and it's they're kind of similar. Yeah, I could see that. But this is just so much more, you know, I am, uh, how it sounds, yes, thematically, it's nothing alike. No, Um, no, and that's all that I was trying, I'm like, that like guitar right at the beginning what is it why does it sound that way and what where have i heard that i don't know that you would have heard that before though i'd heard i'd heard it before oh yeah yeah i thought the opposite i thought this sounds like nothing um and maybe it's because of the lyrics and the theme the way he's singing it he hits another note like that uh, at the end where he says, uh, vagina, half boy, half girl. You never told me how you got your name. I guess you wanted a little fame. Yeah. I guess you got what you wanted. Vagina was half boy, half girl. Tell me how you got your name. I guess you wanted a little fame. I guess you got what you wanted. You got what you wanted, um, just how he hits these super high layered falsettos are just awesome. And here he is, really, he's just describing the person. This is not about necessarily an attraction to this person. It's a a little bit of admiration. Yeah. And I learned some things from this person by experimenting. And uh, that, like he says, the best of both worlds. Right. Very interesting and such acceptance of a non-binary person mm-hmm. at this point was really kind of out of the box and unusual and so fresh and interesting. Yeah. Love and it. whether there's any truth to it or not, I mean, it's like, it's um, very accepting. You know, he says she should have been king because she was so understanding. Yeah. And he uses like king was, instead of queen. Yes. Yes. She should have been king. Yeah. Which is a neat Twisting of words and genders. Yeah. My baby, she should have been king. She was so strong, so um, So I thought, as opposed to, you know, the quote unquote complimentary song of Fill You Up, you're attractive, you're, you're attractive, and I just want to touch you in ways that I want to. Come on, let me do it. Where vagina is almost like this intellectual. Not necessarily all physical. Right. But I learned a lot from this person. She taught me how to dance. She wanted a little fame and she was shocking and that's how it all happened. And she's just looking for a turn on just like he is. Yeah. So he like finds these qualities that he shares with this person too, which Mm -hmm. is really pretty cool. Yeah. Really great. Then we have uh, Rearrange, yep. which has some notable similarities to Lady Cab Driver. Oh, yeah. Big and time. Private Joy mm-hmm. and a little bit uh, Computer Blue. Oh, maybe a little Computer Blue. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. Um, but yes, certainly Lady Cab Driver um, is related to the song Big yeah, Time. Yeah, this is like... Lady Cab Driver's cousin. It is. Yeah. So this was recorded December 8th at Sunset Sound, not in his home studio, and might have been meant for the time, which I could certainly see. It kind sounds of this, like the time to me. It does, totally. And then I read in on Prince Vault, I didn't realize this, that the track was 
pulled from the vault and remixed in 1988, oh, but it's okay. not known what that was for or why it was done. I have my own theory on that. I'll give you. We'll get to that later. Okay. Um, but I thought, talk about a punk or rebel track about breaking rules and the norm, but also kind of doing it responsibly and for the right reasons. That's what Rearrange is about. Yeah. Definitely a very punk sound and kind of back to the oh. live band sound of Money Don't Grow on Trees. Yeah. It almost has a little bit of a rockabilly flavor to it, too. A little like I could totally hear like the Stray Cats singing oh. the song. Yeah, there's this weird line that Prince walks between rockabilly and funk. Yes. And rock. And he and does I it really, really is... well. And this, like, not as much as other songs, but not even as much as Vagina, mm-hmm. but a little bit. Yeah. Especially hearing them back to back, you can kind of hear the carryover of that flavor. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, yeah. these songs were recorded, what, a month apart, something yeah. like that? So that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's the first time I can he- remember hearing Prince kind of do the Max Headroom re-e-e arrange uh-huh. on his own to kind of make words fit to the cadence of a song, which I thought was fun. But this has a very bold generation feel to it also about loosen up your hair and let yourself go. People don't want to change, but they need to kind of thing. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, so your music won't make me dance. I won't give it half a chance. People today won't change. Rearrange. Your music won't make me dance. like the masses will just listen to the same junk over and over Mm -hmm. and they're not going to change until you mix it with a little bit of what they know. Yeah. I mean, that kind of became, that's something Prince sang about throughout his career. Yeah. Like a little bit of what they know and then give them something new so that we can move them forward. Yep. If you give them something totally alien, they're not going to, they won't listen to you. They won't give you a chance. Yeah. But you got to mix it up, mix it in, rearrange it. Right. Massage it a little bit. Right. Yeah. So I looked at the lyrics to try to figure out uh, what he was really singing in the chorus. So the chorus is, people today won't change, got to rearrange. Kids today want love is what I heard. But what the lyrics online say is kids today won't love the kind we're dreaming of. I thought it was want. Kids today want love, the kind we're dreaming of. Oh. But what hmm. I read was kids today won't love, the kind we're dreaming of. I'm leaning towards want, not won't. Okay. But I could be wrong. Okay. I just thought it was interesting. Hmm. There were just a few moments on this entire disc of material that... I was like, what is he saying? Let me look it up. You know, of course, there's of all the material in the accompanying book, lyrics is not one of them, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So if there was one area of improvement, you know, or at least set up a web page or something for yeah. super deluxe lyrics, that would have been nice to, to see. And I didn't see this, his handwritten lyrics for this song, I didn't see in the booklet anywhere either. He does some vocalizing and guitar uh-huh. work from like a minute 40 to two minutes or so. I have the and exact notes. Yes. It is mind-blowing. Yeah, it's one of the first 
times that I can remember him doing that in a studio too, where there's a lead guitar solo and him kind of vocalizing over it um, and giving it kind of a sweeter feel. And so it's got this punk guitar solo, kind of casual guitar solo that just kind of goes on throughout a lot of the song. And then, yeah, his call, his cat calls over it are really, really cool. Yeah. Like you said, it's a grinding, distorted guitar solo, like what you hear on Private Joy from Controversy. And you can hear that like it from three minutes and 50 seconds in Private Joy to the very end of the song as it kind of morphs into Ronnie Talk to Russia. Yeah. Um, you mentioned its similarities to Lady Cab Driver. Yes. Um, for the portion of rearrange from three minutes and 17 seconds to three minutes and 48 seconds, there's a guitar and drum breakdown. That's nearly identical to the portion of Lady Cab Driver from six minutes and 30 seconds to seven minutes and eight seconds that you can, you're like, these are, yeah, it's like the same song. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I always love it when he does that, when he kind of changes things around. Yeah, and it all came from experimentation, I'm sure, and him thinking, well, this song might not be right, but this portion of the song is right, and I'm Uh going to pick it up and use it elsewhere. Yep. Uh, Which, actually, I forgot to mention, during Feel You Up, there's a little synth portion in Feel You Up that... (laughs) He reused on New Power Soul... For I Like Funky Music. Oh. It's identical. Okay. I wrote it down and completely forgot to mention it. Oh, well, that's fine. Aren't you glad you kept listening? Yeah, exactly. So the punk feeling of the song and how it kind of fits with the time, I think, is a little indicative of what you hear at three minutes and 49 seconds where you get a guitar solo, but there's also a piano being played over it. Which it's like the piano being played to the melody of the, the verses on top of a guitar solo which is not something that I associate with like punk music or, you know, if it, it's called a guitar solo because yeah, the guitar the is the only, only thing. thing being played. And of all things, we get like a natural piano being played on top of it, yeah. which I think is unique and kind of a neat exploration of, of things too. Bold generation. Bold generation. Live drums by Morris Day. Yes. Yes. First appearance maybe of another musician. Yeah. On this collection. Yes. Um, this was, I think, a, a big surprise for 
a lot of collectors okay. who knew of the song Bold Generation, but never knew that it was an early version of New Power Generation from okay. Graffiti Bridge. Yeah, which it's like totally... Oh, it like is. Like you listen, I mean, it's... There's no doubt. It is yeah. the same song. Yeah. Prince Vault even says that the Morris Day's drums are buried in the mix of New Power Generation, and I've listened to it a number of times trying to hear it and cannot. Can't. So, okay. I mean, I guess that makes them right. They're there and I can't hear them. Yeah, they're buried. But if they're there yeah. and I can't hear them, then... Are they even there? Does the tree make sound when yeah. it falls in the forest? I don't know. Yeah. This is the one that contradicts the assertion that these vault tracks are presented chronologically because Prince Vault's listing says... This song was recorded on January 12th, 1982, which was the day after recording You're All I Want, which is four tracks after this one. So this was also in the middle of Prince and Morris Day working on tracks for What Time Is It? Okay. So it kind of makes sense that this may or may not have been intended or possibly considered for a Time album. It definitely has that kind of vibe. This one and Rearrange kind of fit together very nicely. Yeah, they do. And as we mentioned up front, this is... The first song that was sourced from cassette because the master tapes were so damaged that they were unusable. Yeah, but it sounds great. That was my my uh, note, too, is thankfully it sounds great. It's very acceptable as an official release um, of a song that was unreleased and recorded you know, 37 years ago. It does not sound out of place or no. that it was Mm-mm. sourced like from a- an inferior cassette to right me. no it sounds really really and great some of that is probably because it sounds like a live studio recording too so there's a certain amount of like ambient noise that you almost expect with a live right. recording and this has that but it's not distract distracting in any way whatsoever Mm-mm. so i mentioned rearrange was pulled forward in 1998 to 1988 sorry to be remixed at paisley park and it was unsure what that was for I think Rearrange was also considered for inclusion on the Graffiti Bridge soundtrack. Oh, that makes sense. If you listen to New Power Generation, towards the end, Rosie Gaines is kind of singing what vocal ice, as Prince called it, at the end. And she sings, You Got to Rearrange. Oh, okay. At the end of New Power Generation. So to me, that means they were looking at that song or that theme of rearrange and it could have been part of graffiti graffiti bridge too. Well, and that's interesting because I was, I made a connection too that we, you know, we just heard rearrange about wanting to change music in a way that can really get through to people. Mm -hmm. And this one was maybe a little less accommodating of people who are unwilling to give something a chance. Yeah. The only thing in our way is you, your old fashioned music, your ideas. We're sick and tired of you telling us what to do. In rearrange, it's kind of like give them a little bit of what they know so that they can accept this. And then this one's kind yeah. of coming at it from a different way of saying you're old. And if you're not going to listen to it, then we don't want you here anyway. Yeah, get out the way. Yeah. You're right. The bold generation is kind of a step forward from rearrange is like, I'm going to consider some of these things, but let's make it work for all parties. Right. And bold generation is. There's no, not even space for your, you here. I don't want to share a breath with you. Right. Kind of yeah. thing. 
Yeah, so it's definitely kind of punk and rebellious also. There's some swooshy beatboxing and screams that are super fun. Yes, there are. And at one minute and 56 seconds, it's kind of buried, but you can hear Prince say, we're here together. Which kind of is almost like a hearkening back to rearrange. Uh-huh. That, you know, let's work through yeah. this. We're both here together, even so though what he's saying is, like I said, you need to step aside and make room for new thoughts and new types of music. Right. As the kid would say in Graffiti Bridge. <laughs> and then there's some piano bits that really sound like the 82, 83 time frame kind of. Mm-hmm. A little bit, which is interesting in the song to hear a little bit of those kind of pianos that are very like piano on a microphone, 1983. Mm-hmm. But this is a very different kind of song than a lot of what we heard in that posthumous release. Yeah, I don't want to say that it's unusual to hear like quote-unquote, normal instruments in a Prince song because he obviously did that. But to hear them here with, um, especially if you're used to new power generation, it was all, you know, synthesizer and electronic drums, and this is more of a live drum feel and a natural kind of piano part. I think the part you're talking about is three minutes and five seconds through three minutes and 20 seconds. Yes. There's an instrumental part, and to, to me it seems like it could have easily fit on what time is it by the time. Would have worked really well. Yeah. Um, and then at three minutes and 50 seconds, there's another set of screams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Prince is screaming that are just kind of classic, you know, Prince finding his voice that would, you know, stick with him for the next 30 years. What'd you think about the mouth sounds and pops? There's that going on at like five minutes and three seconds. He says, okay. Oh, and he's kind of. Oh, I thought it sounded like a pouring water or soda. It didn't bother me because it sounded like it was water or soda being poured into a cup. Okay. It just struck me as kind of strange. It's like him making these weird. mouth yeah, sounds but... out of the blue. Yeah. He's just yeah. having some fun. Yeah, and then there's just piano, drums, and bluesy guitar in the song. It's just really fun to hear this at this point now because it precedes New Power Generation by almost a decade, yeah. which is now three decades old. Yeah. Um, so to hear all this stuff come together and see that you know he was pulling forward a lot of ideas that he had started 10 years previous for movie ideas and soundtrack ideas... It's just a neat piece of the puzzle that comes together and, you know, prints history. Yeah. Then we have Colleen, named for his uh, longtime engineer, Peggy McCreary. Mm-hmm. Her middle name is Colleen. Yeah. She talked about this on the Making of 1999 podcast and how he had done this experimental instrumental track. Yeah. And... He was like, okay, we're done. You know, they worked for hours and hours and he was walking out of the studio and she had to like stop him and be like, no, this needs a name. Yeah, I have I to catalog to it for the, for the record company and for, I've got to call it something. And, uh, the, her story was, he just said, what's your middle name? And 
<laughs> call he, it that. <laughs> yeah, call it that and walked out. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it's kind of some electronic, almost spacey sounds, which kind of goes with the apocalyptic theme of 1999. Yeah, I thought this was the first song that has a real 1999 sound to it. It doesn't sound like a precursor or a afterthought to yeah. the sound that kind of made up the collective album. It's more contemporary with the album itself. Yeah, almost yeah. a Purple Rainish sounding drum beat and deep guitars and kind of this repetitive mechanical. It's got a very revolution sound to me, even though it's all Prince. Yeah. I thought this could have been a B-side to a single from 1999, easily, to have an electronic instrumental. And I think that this is now the earliest Prince instrumental that has officially been released. I can't think of one that's... I'm sure that he recorded many before this, but I can't think of an instrumental recorded before 1982 Okay, that is officially released. Yeah. So this is the first Prince instrumental in the catalog officially. Cool. I really yeah. liked the guitars, like just after a minute, they're kind of, mm-hmm. they're interesting in that they're kind of sparse and smart. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was nice. Yeah. There's this repeating rump, 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 that almost sounded Lady Gaga-ish to no. me. Oh, okay. So he was out Lady Gaga-ing her before, when was she born? Was she even born in 1982? I don't know. I don't know either. My favorite little portion is three minutes and 55 seconds to four minutes. There's a kind of a muted guitar solo going yes. on or like this rhythm guitar or maybe it's even a bass guitar that he's playing but it's muted it's not a distorted electric guitar right that he's playing very very quickly yes um and i was i felt like that was kind of a welcome break yeah in this it yeah. was like oh the guitars are doing something new yeah yeah yeah, definitely a, you know, there's there's parts, there's a couple parts in Purple Rain where you see the revolution and they're rehearsing and there's this instrumental track being played and this kind of has that vibe to it. Okay. Very Lindrum and mechanical digital funk kind of sound to it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wild about this one the first time I was listening to this disc, um, I guess maybe because I was more interested in hearing Prince himself, even though, you know, we're hearing him here because it's all him on every instrument. Right. But the more I listen to this, the more I like it. It's okay. like a pre-pre-prequel to Two Nigs United <laughs> for for West Compton. Okay. You know? Yeah. It has some um, portions of that in it. I thought it was, it was fun. Okay. Five minutes and 30 seconds, it might be a little long, but like Prince Vault describes, it was probably just an experimental thing that he came in and did in a day. Yeah. So, and it's very cool to have it preserved here. Yeah, it's really neat. All right, we're going to take a quick break. All right, thanks again for your patience with us splitting this episode into two, even though we didn't realize that that's what we were going to be doing when we recorded. We just really wanted to include as much information, as much of our thoughts on Super Deluxe Vault Disc number one and this is the end of this. We'll have the rest of it with you in a couple weeks. In the meantime, 
join us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, The Mountains in the Sea, a Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter, TMATS podcast. That's T-M-A-T-S podcast. That stands for The Mountains in the Sea. Or you can send us an email, tmatspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We know we don't come on the radio, that you make a choice when you listen to us, and we so appreciate it. And we will be back with you in just a couple weeks with the rest of the songs on the vault disc number one. Until then, happy purple listening, friends. Forge audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.